Well, if this is your first time seeing that video and you're wondering, everyone did survive in those videos. Uh, they got a little burned, some of them, but everyone did survive. But it is pretty surprising, isn't it, to see how fast you hear the laugh from the background and how fast it turned into screams and panic and how quickly the, the fun just got out of control. We're talking about the dangers of playing with fire. And fire, well, in an instant, it, it can get out of control. Uh, we saw that just this past week here in Southern California with the fire that was raging and still is raging in the Cajon Pass. In one day, it went from a five-acre fire to 25,000 acres in just one day. And 82,000 people had to be evacuated. Fire officials said that they were, they were shocked. They were surprised at how quickly this fire got out of control. And that, that's what fire can do. God warns us about four areas of life that are incendiary in nature. And like fire, these areas aren't, aren't bad. These areas can provide a lot of benefit to us, a lot of warmth to our life. But if they get out of control, they can do a lot of damage. So we talked, first of all, in this series about the danger of words, the fire, uh, the incendiary nature of words. Then last week we talked about money. Today we're going to talk about sex. Next week we're going to wrap up and talk about the incendiary nature of our emotions. Now, if you've missed any of these messages, you can listen to these online if you want to catch up uh, and be up to speed on what we're doing in this series. Proverbs 6, 27 through 29, we read this. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? The answer is no. Can a man walk on hot, co hot coals without his feet being scorched apart from the, uh, you know, the seminars? No. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Now, this is comparing sex to fire. And in many ways, sex is like fire. I mean, is fire good? Yes. Is sex good? Yes. But when do both of them turn bad? Well, whenever both of them get out of control, when they're not contained. This is why our local beaches have fire rings. Here's a picture of some of the fire rings at local beaches. Now, a beach fire is a whole lot of fun. But without the rings, there is a danger that someone's going to step on one of the hot coals buried in the sand and get burned. That's why you see that you know, in, in red, stenciled on the outside of these rings about the danger of the coals that are inside the rings. Now, no one complains that these fire rings on the beach inhibit and limit the freedom of the beach going public. It's because we all understand the danger of fire. But as a culture, we, we really have lost sight of and we don't understand the danger that sex can also pose to us as individuals and to our culture. So sexual barriers in our culture just keep falling and people keep getting hurt. Now, God has established a sexual firing. It's, it's well known. Everybody who knows anything about the Bible knows about this firing. It's called marriage, the lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. Now, within that ring, God says sex is a great thing. It's to be enjoyed, and tremendous benefits come from that. But the man in this verse that we just read about, he scooped sex out of the marriage fire ring and put it in his lap. Now, no one would, would do that with fire. You wouldn't see anyone doing that with fire. So why do people do this over and over again when it comes to sexual activity? Well, with fire, the pain is immediate, but not so much with sex. Sex feels good immediately. The agony of sex outside of marriage occurs much, much later, sometimes decades later in a person's life. Now, the reason for the pain delay is that unlike fire, Sex is much more than just a physical act. Why is that? Well, it's because you are a multi-dimensional 
being. This is the first point on the, the listing guide today. You're a multidimensional being. What I mean by that is there's so much more to you. There's so much more to us than just our bodies, than just biology, than just physical qualities. Psalm 139, verse 13 is a great psalm. This whole psalm describes uh, how much God loves us, and in the middle it talks about uh, God's effort in creating us. And this is what it says in verse 13. It says, for, for you, speaking of God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, what was happening before the knitting together of the body, before the cells began to form and put together? What happened before that? God says, I created your inmost being. I love the way the message translation puts this verse. It says, you shaped me first inside and then out. First inside, then out. What, what is your inmost being? What, what is that inside part of you and me? Well, it's, it's the invisible part of us. It's, the, it's who we really are. It's our essence. It's what we think. It's, it's what we feel. It's, it's what we dream and imagine might be true. It's what we choose to do. In a word, it's... It's our soul. And this inside part of you is made in the image of God. What that means is it reflects some of how God thinks, some of God's capacity to feel, and some of God's capacity to choose. And this inmost part of us, this inner you, sets all of us apart as unique from the rest of all of creation. The rest of creation is amazing and valuable. But this, this puts us in a different category. It makes us unique, and it, it gives us the capacity not only for a relationship with God in whose image we were formed, but for a relationship with each other. But why does it say first inside and then out? Why, why not create a body and then just kind of drop a soul inside a body? Why, why is the order important? Well, the order points to the, to the center, really, of who we are, the real essence of who we are. We're not just a body. We're not even just a body with some added upgrades. We're much more than that. We are a person that is now reflected and, and can be known through our bodies, but our, our bodies are in no way the essence, the, the sum total of who we are. It's, it's how we express ourselves. It's how we are known. For example, if, if you're going to feel an emotion that that rises from the inside, you're going to first register that feeling in your body. If you're going to make a choice, it is going to be your hands and it's going to be your feet that carry out that choice. The, the choice originates, the decision, the, the, the dream, the vision of what you do comes from inside an invisible part of you, but if it's ever going to become reality, it's going to require your body to enact that choice. But it, it begins on the inside. If you want to know what I'm thinking or what anyone else is thinking, you're going to have to listen to what the voice that that person's body has says or, or what they write that they typed or wrote with their fingers. So, so we need our bodies to express who we are, but our bodies are not the essence. God created us first inside and then out. And this fundamentally changes what sex is for us makes it different than what it is for all of the rest of creation. For us, sex is, is far more than just a physical act. Probably the best way I could describe it is sex really is, is one soul touching another soul. It's the most intimate, 
physical expression that two souls can express for one another. But, but we have diminished sex, and we've made it primarily an exterior thing, a, a physical function. The next verse in Proverbs, the one after, right after the ones that we just read, illustrate this view. It goes on in verse 30 and says this, People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he's starving. Yet if he's caught, he must pay sevenfold. This was the law at the time. Though it cost him all his wealth, all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery, this is something very different now. A man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will, he will refuse a bribe, however great it is. What's this saying? Well, this passage counters a, a common misconception that you find prevalent in our culture. And it was even present in this culture. And the idea is this, that for us, sex is just like an appetite, kind of like our appetite for food. And so the thinking goes this way. If it's not wrong to eat when you're hungry, how can it be wrong to have sex when you're horny? That's the basic idea. Well, what this verse is saying is, why don't you try to tell that to the husband of the woman you just slept with and see how that goes? Why don't you take that line of reasoning in that situation? Why don't you explain to him, the husband of the woman you just had sex with, why don't you try to explain to him how sexually starved you were? And see if he then would have mercy and, and understand and be okay with that. He will not. Why not? Well, because he sees that his wife is far more valuable than just a, a loaf of bread. He knows that his wife isn't just a, a meal, an answer to an appetite. He knows that there's much more to her than just a body. He knows that she's a person made in the image of God and not an object. I may not be able to articulate all of that, but he knows. Because here's a person he loves. He knows that she is a multidimensional being with thoughts and plans and feelings. And this guy just treated her like a one-dimensional object, the object of his desires. Now, if this guy had just stolen a loaf of bread because he was starving, he would probably get mercy. I mean, we would have mercy on someone in that situation, especially if he offered to pay for the food that he'd just stolen. But sex, you see, sex is very different. If he offered, what this is verse saying is, if he offered to pay the husband for sex with his wife, well, he'd better hope the guy doesn't have a gun. Because this husband knows his wife is not an object to be purchased. There's no price to be negotiated on this. This is a person. This is not a meal, an answer to your appetite. This is not an object. This is a multidimensional being. I worked at a steel mill in Detroit one summer uh, when I was in college, and the place was absolutely covered in pornography. I mean, naked women everywhere. Magazines in the break room. I'd, I'd never seen anything like it. And women was all these guys talked about. All they talked about. What they had done to women, what they wanted to do to women, how many women they'd had. If they'd had sex the night before, 
vivid details about that experience? Now, I have to admit, like any 21-year-old guy, I was attracted to the images. But that summer, I saw firsthand what pornography does to a person over time. I mean, it, it reduces people made in the image of God to objects. I mean, just the, just the idea of how many women I have had, huh, it reduces them to objects. Nothing more than a pile of mashed potatoes or a good steak to desire and then consume and then throw in the trash can. And there are consequences that ripple through a soul when lust takes over. When we turn multi-dimensional beings into one-dimensional objects of our desire. And God is saying, as we are looking at someone, he is saying, I made him or I made her, first inside and then out. And all you can see is the outside. If, if you... And I reduce people made in the image of God to nothing but a shell. We will find over time that we become nothing more than a shell. It, pornography and lust and all this, it, it eats us away on the inside. Not immediately. But it eats us up on the inside. It leaves us empty. Lust is a relationship-busting, love-diminishing, dead-end deal. It'll take you places... You don't ever want to go. And over time, it will leave you a relational invalid who is incapable of the kind of multidimensional intimacy that you were created to enjoy. You, you are reducing yourself and them down to just one dimension. You're just an animal. You see, God's fire ring is real. It's there for a purpose. And that brings me to the, the second point today. And that is, you are a valuable being. You are a valuable being. Because you are a multidimensional being, that makes you tremendously valuable. Let me show you what I value most in this world. Here's a picture of my family, my immediate family. This is uh, taken just back in January. What is it that makes the individuals in this picture so valuable to me? Is it, is it their physical traits? No, I mean, I, I like all of them, but that's not why I selected these individuals. I didn't, I didn't go out and say I want the most amazingly, stunningly beautiful people in the world, and they will then be my family. No, it's because of my love for them as people, as persons. Now, for some of them, it was a love that started before I ever saw their body. You know, when our two were born, we didn't get sonograms. I didn't see them until they were born. But my love for them was well on its way, long before I even saw the outside, saw the body at all. And they can get old and they can become injured, they can get fat, or they can get skinny. And my love for them would not diminish one bit. Why? Because I love them, the inside them, the eternal them. You talk to a parent of a, of a child that's been born with deformities. 
and you will discover their love for that child <laughs> has not been diminished one bit by any of those physical challenges. It just, it's a challenge, but it doesn't diminish the love because their frame, their, their body is not the essence of who they are. First inside, then out. My love for the people in this picture is, is not at the core of what makes them truly valuable. It's the fact that God loves them even more than I can. Now, I had a role in the creation of a few individuals in this picture, but God is the one who handcrafted every single one of us. He loves every unique, handcrafted, multidimensional person made in his image. So what that means is even if no one else recognizes the marvelous and precious gem that is hidden behind every face, God will never stop loving us. He sees who we really are, and he loves us inside and out. And that, that makes you and me valuable beyond our imagination. So what do you do with something that's valuable? Well, you protect it. How? In 1 Corinthians 7, we find some advice for those that are married and for those that are not married. How to protect their value, particularly in the sexual arena. So let me look at those. First, for the married. If you're married, you need to protect your marriage. You need to protect that fire ring. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5 says this, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I think the most shocking phrase in these verses is the description of married sex. It's called a marital duty. That doesn't sound very romantic, does it? I mean, I don't know anybody that gets married thinking, yep, yeah, got to go on the honeymoon, got some marital duty to take care of. Then we'll come back home, get back to work, take care of that duty. No, I mean, this is an awful image, really, that, you, you know, in our, especially in our culture, to think of married sex. I mean, but, you know, it turns out that married sex requires a little bit of duty in order to occur on a regular basis. When I was single, I had a friend who was married, and he, uh, I don't know why, but at one point he told me that he and his wife had picked uh, a particular night each week to have sex. And I, I didn't say anything because I was just in shock. And my thought as I walked away was, you schedule it? <laughs> I mean, I couldn't get my mind around that. I, and I felt, I felt bad for the guy. You see, because as a single man, I planned to marry somebody that I actually loved and who loved me. And from everything I had learned but from watching movies, <laughs> passionate sex just happens whenever two people really love each other. So that was my plan. Now, if you're married, you know that it's just a little bit more complicated than that. 
I mean, you both get tired, and not necessarily at the same time. Your jobs add stress, and not necessarily in the same week. Your moods come and go, and not necessarily at the same time. And then kids arrive, and oh my goodness, that changes everything. And then you get older, and your bodies change, and boy, that changes a lot of stuff too. Every single week, if you're married, there will be barriers to sex in your marriage. So why not just wait until the stars align and you're all in the right, you're both in the right mood? Well, the reason is because regular sex is one of the most important ingredients of a healthy marriage. Why? That's well, not just the act. It's what the act does to a marriage. You see, for us, sex is not just two bodies coming together. It's two souls coming together. It's two souls connecting in the most intimate of ways. And whenever that occurs, that, that bonds you. Actually, research has been done in the last 10, 15 years that identifies some of the, the chemicals in the body, the bonding chemicals that occur in the act of sex. It bonds you together. And if you don't have sex often as a married person, you are weakening the fire ring around your marriage. And I'm not saying you're making your spouse go have an affair on you. Now, that's, that would be your spouse's choice. But what I am saying is you are giving the enemy greater leverage in his never-ending attack on your lack of self-control. So you're not going to hear your pastor say this very often, so let me say it once. <laughs> if you are married, it is your duty to keep the sexual coals inside your marriage ring red hot. But what if you're not married? Well, 1 Corinthians 7 has some suggestions on that. The Apostle Paul writing this says you need to protect your soul. Here's what it says, verses 8 through 9. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried. As I do. Paul says I'm unmarried. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than burn with passion. What he's saying is, Either get married, not just marry the first person that walks down the street. You have some sense about this, but the options are get married or abstain from sexual activity. But the shocking part of this is it's good for them to stay unmarried. Now, in our culture, the very worst thing that can happen to you is this. Let me show you a picture of a movie you saw. Hopefully you didn't see it, but a picture a year ago, okay? This is the worst thing that could happen to anybody in our culture. I mean, look at Steve Carell here. He's pathetic. <laughs> Nerd of all nerds. The guy's 40 years old, and he still hasn't had sex? What in the world is wrong with him? I mean, that's, the, that's stuff you mock in our culture. The ultimate loser. He's pathetic. Well, the Apostle Paul died probably around the age of 65, and he was a virgin. He was a 65-year-old virgin. And God used Paul to start the early churches and write much of the New Testament. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was a 33-year-old virgin when he gave up his life for the world. So it must be 
that abstaining from sex is not the very worst thing that can happen to you in this life. I mean, our culture is just so tweaked on this. In fact, Paul here says he wished that more people could be unmarried like him. Why? What's wrong with him would be our thought. He goes on to explain, if you read the rest of it, it's because of the advantage you have of focus if you're not married. I mean, those of us that are married and have had kids, you know, you know married, marriage and family life takes a lot of time and a lot of money. And if you're not married, you've got a lot more of both. Now, this doesn't mean marriage is bad. It's just there's some advantages to not being married. You can focus more of your time and more of your money on helping advance the church and the world. That's what Paul plans to do. You know, now, the only reason people stay unmarried in our culture is so, not so that they can aspire to be lifelong virgins like Paul and Jesus and change the world. Oh, no, no, they have much bigger goals than that. The only reason that you stay unmarried in our culture right now is so you can remain free and have a variety of sexual partners. So that you, you can be a dog out there, an animal. You know, the image of the 40-year-old virgin reduces us down to just one-dimensional objects whose only real value in life is our body and its ability to have sex. Some of you may be aware of the dating app called Tinder. Tinder has revolutionized online dating. In early online dating, you would actually submit a profile, something about yourself. And some of them even had, you know, some personality tests and things you would take. And the goal was to try to find a person that you were compatible with. But Tinder, boy, Tinder changed everything. On Tinder, all you know about the other person is what they look like. All you see is a picture of them. And that picture pops up, and you swipe right if you like them, left if you don't like them. And when two people like each other, it's a match. And then you can send them a message. Last year, Vanity Fair published an article that was shocking. It was on the effect of Tinder in our culture. And they, they reported, based on some studies, that there's an estimated 100 million people on Tinder looking for sex. 100 million people. Multidimensional beings made in the image of God looking for sex. One Tinder user that was interviewed for this article said this. He said, it's like ordering food online, but you're ordering a person. If you're not married, don't let our culture or anyone treat you like a piece of meat. You're not. You are a multi-dimensional, eternal being made in the image of God. If someone thinks you're hot, be offended, not flattered by their one-dimensional reduction of your value. Don't let sex be the thing you look for to make you feel better about yourself. Don't sell yourself that short. Now notice, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the comments that were made to the married people and the comments that were made to the unmarried people in 1 Corinthians 7, there's one theme that's common to both. And that is self-control. 
That shows up in both comments. You see, both the married and the unmarried need to exercise self-control. Now, that was a shock to me. As a single guy, I looked at all my married friends and said, well, it must be nice. You don't ever struggle with lust ever again once you get married. That's not true. I thought marriage solved all lust. Nope. It doesn't. It turns out that it takes, I think it takes just as much self-control to stay married as it does to stay unmarried. But if, if we are, if we're just one-dimensional beings, if, if we're just kind of animals pursuing our instincts, if we're just one-dimensional beings, then self-control is impossible. I mean, we're, we're just nothing more than an urge or a desire or an appetite in search of fulfillment, in search of a meal. But we are not one-dimensional. We have a mind, and, and we have dreams and desires, and we have the ability to choose against our desires and our urges. We can actually make commitments and stick to them, regardless of how we feel on any given day. You're, you're the kind of person, and I'm the kind of person that, can, that our children can depend on. We're not just sperm donors and ovaries. We, we can do more than just have children. We can do much more than just procreate. We can actually form a stable foundation that children need to flourish because we have the ability to control ourselves. But whether it's getting married or having children or doing the kind of work that God can use to change this world, it's going to require self-control. And you need to understand this about self-control. Self-control is like the rest of us. It's not one-dimensional. In other words, you can't just tell your body no. You're multidimensional. The no has to be multidimensional too. It's going to have to include all the thoughts that led up to the desire and all the thoughts that follow it. You're going to have to change your thoughts. You're going to have to change your goals. You're going to have to change what you're pursuing, your dreams. You might have to change your friends because, well, we're relational beings. And we struggle to do anything significant all by ourselves. We need help. And it's going to require a vibrant relationship with God because we're spiritual beings as well. If you are stuck in the one-dimensional sex world, which our culture is, if you're stuck there, get help. Tell somebody you trust. Join a support group. But do not play with this fire. It, it will consume you and everyone that touches you. This is a crisp, brand new $100 bill. Now I have your attention, right? <laughs> okay? It's a $100 bill. How many of you would like me to give this to you? Okay, this is an IQ test. There should be more hands going up. Okay, this, this is no, I'm, I know you're thinking, oh, he's going to make me get up stage and do all kinds of weird things. No, no, I'm just asking you, how many of you would like it if I gave you this $100 bill? I mean, everybody wants this, right? Well, let me do some things to this bill. I'm going to mess with it, do some damage. We're going to put it on the ground. I'm going to step on it. All right. 
Now, now let me ask you, how many of you want this wrinkled up, stepped on, $100 bill? Very good. The IQ is doing well today. Why? I mean, I, I've, I've, uh, I've done damage to this bill. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's dirt on the bottom of my feet. There's dirt on this bill now. I'm going to go grab the Purell right after this. It's dirty, it's, it's damaged, it's, it's wrinkled, it's used. Why do you still want it? Well, because what I did to it didn't alter its value at all, right? Why? Because its value is not external. This, this $100 bill is backed by the full faith and assurance of the U.S. government. Okay, you're, that wasn't, you weren't supposed to laugh, but I understand, <laughs> I understand why you did, okay? All analogies break down eventually. <laughs> But it's still, it's still worth $100. And you still want it. Now let me say this. You may have taken your body and you may have allowed it to be trampled sexually. You may have allowed other people to use you as their piece of meat. And you may have used other people as a piece of meat. And in doing so, You've damaged yourself. But I want you to hear this. You are still the person God created you to be. Loved and valued by him. And that's where your real value is. You have made a, maybe you've made a mess of your life. But God says, I still want that person. I want them to turn to me and, and I want to rebuild and I want to renew them from the inside out just like I created them. And your value has not been diminished. You've done damage, you've done damage to others, but God still values you. Let's pray. Father, uh, <laughs> this is a simple fact that we're talking to you unseen you from the unseen part of who we are is a statement of that we are much more than just bodies. We are bodies and those bodies have value but at the core of who we are we are made in your image. And Father our, our culture right now is, is reducing us to one dimensional objects. Almost every commercial we see treats people like objects of desire to be attached to products to sell. The clothes we wear is walking down the beach. It's, it's just apparent that we've bought into this one-dimensional lie. God, I pray that you change us. You would help us begin to see ourselves first differently and then see everyone around us very differently. to see that we are looking at someone who you created first inside and then out. I pray for those that are trapped in the one-dimensional sexual world. God, I pray that they would, they would call out for help and they would get serious about rebuilding with your help the future. We pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.